Welcome in to this special edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. Again, at WrestlingTWT for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Our podcast usually drops every Tuesday wherever you find your podcast. And please tell people, hey, you're looking for some pro wrestling slash sports entertainment conversation, a special podcast for you, the wrestling fan, every Tuesday right here. For Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Now, this is a special TWT because we will discuss the passing of terrific regional wrestler and WWE Hall of Famer, the Bullet Bob Armstrong. So we'll talk about Bob Armstrong's career. From my standpoint as a wrestling fan, the first time that I saw Bob Armstrong was in the magazines growing up in the 80s. And actually watching him on television was when he's with the NWA in the late 80s. And even some of the Smoky Mountain wrestling that he was involved in with Jim Cornette. Um, I had to see that on the WWE Network. And so I'm very familiar with Bob's work. A terrific babyface, even better heel. And of course, if it wasn't for Bob Armstrong, we wouldn't have the Road Dog, Jesse James, right? The Road Dog was great with DX. We'll review uh, Bob Armstrong and his sons, a great wrestling family. Brad Armstrong, one of my favorites of all time, uh, part of that Armstrong clan. So we'll talk about that. We'll hear from Mark Henry, the world's strongest man. We'll hear from Double A, the enforcer, Arn Anderson, Bobby Blaze, a Smoky Mountain champion back in his day, Jim Cornette, and so many more to talk about the legacy of Bob Armstrong, the bullet passing away. We'll talk about it right here on this very special edition of TWT. Bad to the Bone, that was his theme when he wrestled uh, in Florida and in continental wrestling in the southeast. So we'll talk about Bob right here. He was bad to the bone. So let's check the bio of the bullet, Bob Armstrong. So you talk about charismatic, first of all, someone who really was great as a worker, baby face or heel, who was terrific when it comes to mic work. Boy, you saw how to promo. You wonder why the road dog is, was so good as a promo. He got a lot of that from his father, Bob Armstrong, who was a terrific promo. When he took the mic, he knew exactly where he was going. He was... A, a really vicious heel, but also a baby face that would pack the seats, especially uh, in the Southeast. So as I go to WWE.com, it says that Bob was a dedicated family man. Armstrong and his beloved wife, Gail, raised four sons, Brad, Scott, Steve, and Brian. Physical like their father, the boys would all grow up and become 
pro wrestlers. Brian is best known as the road dog Jesse James, a former member of DX and one of the most popular superstars of WWE's Attitude Era. Brad and Steve both found success in WCW, and Scott was a WCW competitor as well and made his mark later as a top official. All the Armstrong boys are highly respected and talented performers by their peers, which shouldn't come as a surprise seeing as how the bullet trained all of them. That is so true. Uh, Bob Armstrong trained all of his um, sons. Brad Armstrong is my favorite who passed away suddenly um, a few years ago. Brad was that guy, and I've tweeted this very often on Wrestling TWT. Brad Armstrong was that guy that it, he, it, you see a match, and it was Brad Armstrong versus the broom. And so you say, there's no way that Brad Armstrong would lose to the broom. No. Brad Armstrong was so smooth in the ring that he could have a 30-minute Broadway with the broom, get the broom over, get himself over, and it would be a classic match. That's how good Brad Armstrong was. He was the best wrestler, I believe, out of all of them. But you talk about someone who was great as far as controlling the crowd, as far as being a, a really solid worker in growing up in the 60s, getting into wrestling in the mid-60s and all through the 70s and 80s. Bob Armstrong was a very, very solid wrestler. Arn Anderson owes his career to Bob Armstrong. So Arn Anderson, Double A, the Enforcer, one of my favorites as well, started his career in the Pensacola area in Gulf Coast Wrestling and also part of Continental Championship Wrestling owned by the Fullers. And Arn on his podcast with Conrad Thompson talked about how special uh, Bob Armstrong was for him and being in a territory with Bob. Let's listen back, not even, I don't even know if it was a month ago, where Arn was actually talking about now the late Bob Armstrong. We've got a great question here uh, about an old school legend, especially in these parts of the woods. Brent wants to know, can you talk a little bit about Bullet Bob Armstrong? I think people outside of the Southeast don't realize just how big of a star this guy was. He beat Hogan, Flair, and carried the Southeast for a long time. And how big could he have been had he chosen to leave Pensacola for a major market? Well, I think Bob Armstrong could have done anything he wanted. Um, he was huge in, like, the Georgia Territory and the Pensacola Territory and the Florida Territory. I don't know how much he went in and out of Memphis. But he was he was good enough, and Bob Armstrong is a, is a fine human being, I owe him a lot. He gave me my first break. I'll never forget it. Um, but he was a very safe performer. He was always in that weight room. He was fit. He looked good. And he did promos that you would believed 100%. One of the, you know, it was one of the things that struck me early on. You know, I didn't want to copy Bob, but I wanted when the thing was done, the promo was done, I want to believe what that guy said, and boy, did I. And and when I started to, you know, figure out my own promo style, what are you going to say or how are you going to say it that's going to make people believe at least that you believe what you're saying? And uh, I think he chose because he, like everybody does, went to Pensacola, 
and he bought in down there and got like 10% of the company with the Fullers and Jimmy Golden, and it's paradise. Conrad, you know, you go down there to Destin all the time. Yeah. To live there, every every wrestler in the country wanted to go to Pensacola, even if it was between the bigger territories where they were working every single day and traveling themselves to death. They wanted to go there for six, eight months, maybe a year, just to re-energize because it was paradise. Some thoughts there from Arn Anderson, the enforcer on the late Barb Armstrong, just like, yeah, wrestling in Pensacola, buying into the territory as a part owner and just being able to make something out of the time that you're in Florida. Uh, but Bob really touched a lot of different wrestlers. As a matter of fact, he was able to work with the world's strongest man, Mark Henry, my friend, who is a radio host for Busted Open on Sirius XM with Dave LaGreca. On Friday, as we record this, on the 28th of February, of, of August, um, Mark was talking about uh, working with Bob Armstrong and talking about kind of an interesting, funny story of exactly who's going to win a match between the world's strongest man, Mark Henry, and Bob Armstrong. Some thoughts now from Mark on the late Bob Armstrong. Dave, as much as I'm sitting here um, saddened by his passing, uh, I started just laughing right now, kind of smiling, because uh, I wrestled Bullet Bob Armstrong in Knoxville, Tennessee. And <laughs> I, I thought that the world would end for me as a pro wrestler if I beat him. And... He said, hey, man, I had my time. It's your time. Um, what, uh, what do you want to beat me with? And I was like, I'm not beating you, Bob. And he said, yes, you are. And I said, no, I said, if I go back to the locker room and, hey, man, you, 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 you gave Bob your finish, they would assassinate me in the locker room. And he said, no, no, come on, Henry, that's not the way it is. I said, listen, Bob, it's changed a lot in the locker room. He said, well, I'll come up there with you and tell them that is my doing. I was like, listen, man, if you called your sons right now and asked them, uh, they was, he said, well, he said, I, I guess I'm just going to have to lay down in the middle of the ring and get uh, go out and get counted out. And I was like, come on. And, and we did this for like 20 minutes. And finally, um, he, he said, look, he said, um, it's, about, it's about the business. It's not about me and it's not about you. And that was kind of where, you know, my education had already been started that way. But I got more of it uh, from him. He said, "We're we're working for the business, you know. We're not working for you, you know, each other." And uh, I've always had that in mind. And I ended up um, taking a super kick from, you know, at that time Bob was sixties, late sixties, um, or late fifties, and. Um, <laughs> I fell back into the ropes, and when I came off the ropes, I fell on it. <laughs> and he couldn't move. He couldn't get me off of it. 
So it protected both of us. And he said, you always have to learn another way. There's always another way to do it. And like, that's a lesson that I, I took to, took with me through my whole career. That's a great story by Mark Henry. There's <laughs> always one way to do it, right? Mark did not want to do the job, uh, did not want to, for Bob Armstrong to do the job. I mean, Mark Henry knows that Bob Armstrong is a legend. There's just no way in Knoxville, right, in that territory that Mark was going to go over. But, you know, it's interesting how Bob Armstrong insisted, hey, Mark, you know, you're a young guy in the business. It's okay. Like, it's my time has passed. But Mark still didn't want Bob to do the job. Apparently, they found a way for it to work for Bob Armstrong to lose that match and Mark Henry to go over. All right, I plugged in the old VCR, and so see if this works. Bob Armstrong, as a babyface, was phenomenal, and when he got attacked, this is the good old days where, you know, there would be a beatdown, something happens in the ring, and then the next week you would have the wrestler come back and narrate what happened. I love to see this in wrestling in 2020, as a matter of fact. Say, for instance, something goes down, something, some incident that happens. Now you want the perspective of the wrestler of if when you got attacked, what's going through your mind, what happened? Just a sample of that from Bob Armstrong here. Let me plug this in and see if this works with Bob Armstrong, who's a terrific promo. Hold on a second. Let me... We've got more live action still to come on Southeastern Television Wrestling. Certainly no word right now from uh, Austin Idol. We do not know what his situation is. I don't mean to interrupt, but a few minutes ago I was walking in the building. They were taking Idol out of the building. He's bleeding out of the mouth. What's going on? What's Stud trying to do? Well, yeah. it, was, you know, it was just two weeks ago that I took his place right here, and they jumped him on the side of the road. They're, they're trying to kill a man, I guess. What else can you say? Well, uh, I'm glad you brought up the fact of uh, two weeks ago, speaking of that, it, it kind of reminded me of two weeks ago, and I've asked our director to go back and pull the uh, a part of uh, two weeks ago's television program in which uh, Idol was late showing up for a championship match. Let's roll that, get into that, and take a look at what did take place uh, as you had taken the place of That's Idol in the championship match. Golden tried to finish me with a knee right there, I moved out of the way and commenced to Jack and Jaws like I love to do so well, brother. I was skipping and zipping, had things going pretty good, and you're going to see a bad bump right here when I went right straight back, hit the referee, and that's all that Tennessee stud was waiting on. They're just waiting on the chance to come in there and do some damage because you can see Golden flat of his back, and I just started up to my feet, and you're going to see the big crunch. And, brother, my lights went out. I didn't know what was happening or who was happening or anything else. I was just trying my best to keep my senses about me, and they come in to jabbing that stick in my head. I mean, they've been left a scar. You can see it right there, Charlie. They left a scar right into that eyebrow right there that I'll have for, I can remember this from now on. I ain't never going to forget it. And I guarantee you one thing, Idol's not a quitter, but he's hurt bad. They're on the way to the hospital right now. Now, you can see they're having a field day here. They're really kicking booties and taking names. They're throwing people around. They're doing everything they can do and continually coming back and knocking me in the head. See that? Look at that. But I'm going to tell you, brother, the old jawjacker's head is hard. The head of the bullet is hard. They left some scars, brother, but they didn't knock me completely out. And you're going to see in a minute, I just get one little lick. And one little lick is all I wanted if I could just got my hands on his throat and just got that top hat and put it where it needs to be put. Now, right here, you can see they're still beating on me. And here comes they just knocking everybody around and continually coming back and just beating my noggin like, I mean, they're having a field day, wouldn't you say? 
When you say that's having a field day on the bullet, well, they got the whole stud stable out there. There's some wrestlers coming in trying to help you out, but they're being cut off by, like, the Lord Humongous. Well, they got the home field advantage. They're on the high ground up there, and they're knocking people off the ring as they come in. But you're going to see in a minute now, thank goodness for Mr. Olympia, he got some some hardware. He got some furniture. He moved some furniture, mister, and he tried to come in that ring, and that gave me just a minute, just a minute to get a break. You're going to watch. There comes Bobby Cash. He got rid of Humongous. Still, I'm having to take a beat. Brother, they must have beat me for 30 minutes. It felt like two hours, but they're still beating on me. Now, wait just a minute. You're going to see something else. There goes another one down. Now, Mr. Olympia ain't going to stand. Here's where he becomes a furniture mover, grabs a chair, and, brother, he's coming in for it. Now, they both have to go to keep him out. Now, watch. Just a second. I just get one lick, one lick at that Tennessee stud, brother, and there he went. He bit the dust. Another one bites the dust, and now they're all scattered. And I want to thank Mr. Olympia right now. I don't know what would happen. I might be in the, next to the hospital bed with uh, Austin Idol. I don't know, but uh, thank goodness he came in. And you can see where they stuck that, uh, he busted that thing over my head, that cane, and run it right into my head. I mean, you know, just a splintered head. Yeah. Brother, that ain't, that ain't fun at all. He's gone too far. Well, they- Great stuff. Great storytelling right there as Barb Armstrong, the babyface, is getting attacked. And he's telling Charlie Platt, uh, the broadcaster there at the at ringside, Everything that happened, and I tell you what, I talk about a gift to Gab. He was a tremendous promo, and just from that incident that I just played, I'm sure that in that um, in that area, the big arena was filled just to see whether or not that uh, Fuller was going to get his comeuppance against Bob Armstrong. Great stuff. You have to look it up. Uh, on YouTube, there's a several places, Daily Motion, where you can find some classic Bob Armstrong promos and matches. Uh, I think it's really worth your time. What about Jake the Snake Roberts? What does he think of the legendary Bullet Bob Armstrong? Let's listen. Folks, this is uh, one of the greatest of all time, man. Uh, this is the one and only Bullet Bob Armstrong. It's been my pleasure in my life to not only be in the ring with him, but to be in the ring with his boys. Here's a guy that will give you everything for a match. Well, uh, you know, I was in great shape when I was younger. Still is. I was in the gym all the time. I just it was part of my lifestyle. And we had a match in Charleston, and it was it been well promoted, a good crowd. And I had Jake the Snake there, and he came to me before the match, and he said, Bob, I'm sorry, my leg is killing me. And I said, okay. We got to the ring, and he took a step in the ring and went down on the leg. When they rang the bell, for 15 minutes, I worked my ass off. I, that's the hardest I've ever worked in a match in my life. I was doing everything to keep it going, entertain. When we got back to the dressing room, he was laughing so hard, I thought, what is it? Well, his knee wasn't hurt at all. He just I'm jumping up down to his squad, see how hard he worked his ass off for me. Oh, Lord. He wanted to kill me. Yes, I did. Talk about a bad moment we had up there in West Virginia or wherever it was in the gym. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. What happened was he was on a bench. He's doing a thing called funny enough nose breakers. And you do triceps. The bench flipped. When the bench flipped, that 180 caught him right here and ripped his nose off. Ripped his nose off. We took it, they went to the hospital. We go to the hospital, check on him, and they're frantically searching for his nose. Yeah, we went back and found it at the gym. It was over the corner in some dust, a big hunk of meat yeah, in the gym. It wasn't worth saving, though. No, it was, it was nasty. It wasn't worth saving. Yeah, that but, was... but this man has been around since, since the good old days, you know. 
he was out there with a great a, a lot of great men that, that taught a lot of great men and he was a great teacher but i will say this that uh, i made his son one of his sons brad a national champion in georgia championship wrestling and i he was a fine, fine boy. For 32 years, he wrestled with me, Jake. 32 years. All of a sudden, he was gone. I couldn't accept it for a lot of days because I had him so much of his life with me. I couldn't accept it either. I had four sons, and they were all great athletes, but he was the best of us all, and they don't mind telling you. No. And here's, here's what really impressed me about Bradley. was This kid had the opportunity and the athleticism to go anywhere he wanted to go. I asked him one time, Brad, why in the hell aren't you in the WWF? He said, I just don't want to leave my kids alone. I, I want to be a dad. And Bradley, I know where you're at. We love you and we got gosh darn sure miss you. And I have nothing but love for you, man, and, and all your boys for that matter. Well, thank you. And I'm so proud that, that a couple of them have pulled through the same war I'm fighting. And we talk about real things, man, and we talk about real men. And when I say that, this guy's the top of the list. Some great thoughts there from Jake the Snake Roberts regarding uh, Bullet Barb Armstrong. Yeah, that story is true about uh, the weightlifting accident. Hits him in the face. He's got, he have his face reconstructed. It's interesting to look back at the bullet in the 70s and look at him a few years later when he had to have that reconstructive surgery on his face because of the uh, the weightlifting accident. I mean, <laughs> I think he looks looked better. <laughs> I mean, he was just a plain-faced guy before, but I mean, he looked as good or better with the reconstructive surgery on his face. So, boy, I tell you what, the bullet went through a lot. Uh, there's a lot of stories from Jim Cornette, um, longtime manager and also the uh, head of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, the owner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling for a long time. A lot of stories regarding Bullet Bob Armstrong we're going to hear right here on TWT. Bullet Bob Armstrong was obviously tremendous, but was wondering, I was wondering how he'd get away with going from the mask to without it to back to it. I mean, I think it's cool and all, but back in the day, most res masked wrestlers <laughs> didn't take a dump without their mask. Well, it, it, he didn't actually originally do it on purpose, and then it, it got over to the point where I think the bullet was more over than Bob Armstrong. But, uh, and Brian, you know the story, but for the sake of uh, the young folks that have, have hopped on the bandwagon since we're doing this record-setting run of downloads here on this program, um, it, it, he originally put the mask on because Bob was a big star in, in all of Southern wrestling, whether it be in Florida, in Georgia. He'd been to uh, Tennessee on a number of occasions, um, you know, worked all over the Southeast. And he had a weightlifting accident. Where the I came, I think it was the weights weren't secured properly or whatever, and one fell off, and the, basically the the barbell fell on his face, on his head, and rolled down across his face, and just smashed a lot of shit, and broke bones and cheek and nose, and and it it, it was lucky that he he it wasn't worse than it was because he might not have made it, and he was out for quite a while, and when he came back. Because he had to have, you know, a surgery and have things fixed, he put the mask on. Because if you look at, uh, and, and obviously I'm not telling 
tails out of school on the bullet. Everybody knows this, just maybe for the younger folks. But if you look at pictures of Bob later in life and when he was a commissioner in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, his nose was completely different shape and his cheeks were sh- different shape than when he was a wrestler in the 70s in, in Georgia and everywhere. So the, the mask and then the, I believe they, as a reason for it also, they did a loser leave town thing or whatever first time around. And then uh, after that ran its course, he became Bob Armstrong again a time or two, but he would go back to the mask more often than not because it kind of gave him a second, you know, new look and new run. And uh, obviously he didn't use the mask in Smoky Mountain Wrestling right off the bat because I wanted him to be the commissioner. Of course, I knew <clears throat> in uh, February of 1992 when I or actually, fuck, no, October of 91, our first taping, when I made him the commissioner, I knew that in a year and a half or two years, if we made it that long, that I was going to get him back in the ring uh, and, and, and be a main event fucking babyface. But I also figured that that would be my ace in the hole, that I'd try everything I could with these other baby faces, the active wrestlers, etc., so that when Bob came in, it wouldn't be wasting him, and he'd be, uh, you know, the legend and the guy that would make a difference. And he was. And we ended up, uh, me and him in the main event with the Lumberjack match, uh, drew 3,000 people in Knoxville. Um, so, but, so, of course, he couldn't wear the mask as commissioner. So that's, and, and then... It became interchangeable there because everybody knew who he was. It's just that sometimes, you know, he preferred wrestling as the bullet. Tell me if I'm wrong, but the story I had heard when I was down there in 95 for Fan Week, because, again, one night he didn't have the mask on, the next night he did, was that if he felt he had a bad hair day, <laughs> is that true? I, I've, I've, was, I've never heard him actually say that, but I would not uh, bet against it, uh, to be honest. And, you know, and, and also sometimes it, it depended on uh, gimmick sales, you know, too, because some people like to, to have pictures taken with him with the mask or whatever. So there you have it. But you know something, Bob Armstrong? Everybody's ashamed of you. Not only these fans... Not only everybody at Smoky Mountain Wrestling, your whole stinking family's ashamed of you. want to know, hey, Dixie Dynamite, that goof running around here with a sock on his face, you know who that is? That's Scott Armstrong. I'll say it right now. That's his stinking son. That's Bob Armstrong's son, Scott Armstrong, who is so ashamed of his old man that he has to wear a mask over his face. He's ashamed to be a member of the Armstrong family. He's ashamed to be associated with a crook like Bob Armstrong, so he wears a mask over his face like a common stinking criminal. That's what Dixie Dynamite is. He scots the heck. Hey, yeah. Let me tell you something, brother. I ain't ashamed of nothing. I am Scott Armstrong. I don't owe you nothing. I don't owe nobody nothing. Let me tell you something. And I want everybody else to know it too. I'm not ashamed of my father. I love my father with all of my heart. He is the most honest man I have ever met. And I'll tell you something else too. He raised me and my brothers to be good, good-hearted men. Whether I wear a sock on my head, the reason I wore a sock on my head is so that whining mama's boys like you didn't run their mouth to the promotion, Sandy Scott, saying that he's daddy's boy. So let's show him a little favoritism. Brother, I didn't want the favoritism, so I wore the mask because I love my father. Yeah, there's your answer. Yeah. 
That's a great sentiment, Scott Armstrong. But let me tell you one thing. I don't love your father. Hey, because he's been against me and mine ever since day one. You come out here and you say, I love my daddy. That's why I'm going to wear a sock on my face. Well, I got news for you. I think you're still ashamed. And I'm, hey, hey, hey. Here, here's listen, our Commissioner Armstrong. Listen, if you've got something to say to somebody, don't be talking about my family. Don't be talking to these fans. Have a little guts. Say it to my face. If you've got something to say, say it. For God's sake, just say it to me. That's exactly what I'll do, and I'll say it to your Ernest T. Bass-looking face with that cap on. I'll say it to you. You are without a doubt the lowest form of human life that I've ever known in my life. You say you're the commissioner, and you push a pencil, and you tell people where to go, and you tell people what to do, and you make all these rules, and you've been trying to screw me since day one. But it ain't worked and it ain't gonna work. And no matter what you do, it is not gonna work. You know what you're like? You know what you're like, huh? You know what you're like, big man, big barrel chest? You're like a drill sergeant hiding behind his stripes. You're like a police officer hiding behind his badge. You've got that commissioner's tie on. And as long as you wear that commissioner's tie, Mr. Commissioner, can't nothing happen to you. Can't nobody punch you in the face. That's what you're hiding behind is that commissioner's tie. If this tie is bothering you, let me solve your problem. It's just a clip-on tie. It comes right off, the shirt comes open, the car goes down, and it's very simple. It's very simple. The tie's off now. If you got something else to say, let's hear it. I'm saying to you, Armstrong, you've gone too stinking far. You have tried to best me for the last time. You're not only the only one involved in this, but your family is to Brad down there in Atlanta, Steve's sitting home wherever he is, Peanut Head over there, and it's Brian, the little one, the one that went off and joined the Marine Corps and became known as the world's biggest deserter for hiding off from water. Wait a minute. And Armstrong has got him. If you ever say anything about my family again, brother, I'm going to knock you out. You can't talk to me like that. Oh, and he does, and down goes Cornette. As the commissioner slugged him, and Cornette hits the floor, and he hits it hard, fans. So, <laughs> Cornette hit the floor in Smoky Mountain Wrestling in a big way. <laughs> but, you know, there was real solid chemistry between Jim Cornette and Bullet Bob Armstrong. Really good chemistry. It happened in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. It happened in the NWA in the late 80s. It happened in WCW in the Bill Watts era. There was this whole thing where, is it still about, this is still the era of Smoky Mountain Wrestling in 1993. There's still, Smoky Mountain Wrestling still available, but here's the thing. Smoky Mountain Wrestling was looking for a partner, whether it was the WWF at the time or WCW, Jim Cornette was just trying to get awareness for his regional product, very similar to Paul Heyman trying to do the same thing in ECW. Well, here's Jim Cornette, and he is confronting Bill Watts, who is the president of WCW at the time. And you know what? Bob Armstrong all of a sudden comes to the scene as well. This is in 1993. Once again, it shows the great chemistry between Jim Cornette as well as Bob Armstrong. Serious things to tell us here today. That's right, Jim. Bob Armstrong, one of the former great wrestlers, is now the commissioner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And after what happened on WCW Saturday night with Jim Cornette and the Heavenly Bodies, Bob called me. He was really upset. 
and he has to come on the main event here tonight. And Bob, I'll just turn it over to you. Well, frankly, uh, Bill, we're embarrassed by what Cornette did, his little temper tantrum. And I've ordered him here today for a special reason. I want him to publicly apologize to you people, your viewers, for what he did right here on TV. Well, that's great. And you know what? The great thing for me is that you support what we're doing here at WCW. And I know you've had your problems with him, too. Turn my back to the camera. Shut up, you bunch of humanoids. Let me tell you something. I don't appreciate. I do not appreciate you calling me out here, Bob Armstrong, and making us come down here like a bunch of high school kids being called in the principal's office. I don't want to be here in the first place. Well, are you going to apologize to his viewers or not? I ain't going to apologize to nobody because I'm not sorry for anything that I've ever done in my life, and you know that Bill Watts as well as anybody. I ain't apologizing for nothing. We said what we meant, and we still mean it. In that case, let me just tell you that I'm authorized to levy on you the biggest fine ever paid in the history of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. You will pay the price for your temper tantrum. Let me tell you something. You've been a pain to me ever since we've been in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, but you ought to know, as far as anybody so far, that a fine to me is just a phone call home to mother, so you don't scare me none. Bob, wait, wait one second. Let me say something here. If we can get by without this mouth to south running off. You know, he always bragged about his mama's money. They started something on WCW Saturday, and our fans didn't get to see the end of it. On Super Brawl 3, we have the rock and roll against the wrecking crew. I'd like to change that match and have the rock and roll express against the heavenly bodies. Hey, 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 wait a minute, let me say something. Maybe you didn't get what I said on WCW Saturday night. I'll say it again. We don't work here. We don't want to work here. I hate this crummy stinking wrestling promotion, and I don't like you either. And I'm telling you right now, you don't hold cut. You know what? You're a You like to push people around. You like to move that pencil around and tell them where they go and what they can do. Well, you can't tell us nothing. You don't have contracts on us. We don't work here. You can't find us. You can't find us. Let me butt in here. Let me just butt in here. Just let me butt in here just for a minute. I do. I do hold your contract. And, Bill, I think that's a great idea. And if you don't wrestle the Rock and Roll Express on Super Brawl 93, I'll double your fine, you will be suspended, and I'll strip you of your Smoky Mountain tag titles. And, Bill, if you want to right now, we'll put it on paper. We'll sign it, Bob. We don't need this guy to interfere. But I want to say one other thing. I want another thing. Well, you, your little bitty hands couldn't fit around the real man. I want one thing cleared up. I want to know which two, is it going to be Bobby Eaton, Stan Lane, or is it going to be Stan Lane and Pritchard? Let me tell you something. You shut up, you humanoid. Let me tell you something. The Heavenly Buddies are a corporation, and any two of them can wrestle. Any two of them get to defend the belts at any time. But I'll tell you something. I'm calling my mama's attorneys. We don't want to be on your stinking Super Brawl. Oh, they're going to decide which two, and we're going to get rid of the other one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what's going to happen at Super Bowl? What's going to do? Put the guy in the gas chamber? What are you talking about? We don't want to be on Super Bowl. I hate WCW. I don't want to wrestle for WCW. We are not going to be. I'm going to sue somebody. If I saw Sue Jane Bond, that's who I'll sue. We've got to get that back to a little order here. Let's go to this pre-taped interview with Michael Hayes. Yeah, great chemistry between Cornette and uh, Bullet Bob Armstrong. Well, Rob Fuller, uh, Rob and Ron Fuller, the Fuller family, the Tennessee stud, well, they, they know Bob Armstrong very well. Uh, Bob Armstrong was part owner of the territory that the Fullers once owned in Tennessee. 
for Continental Championship Wrestling. And so the Fullers know Armstrong very well. And they also know how great a wrestler he is, what kind of draw he is to bring people into the seats. They also know that, well, Bob Armstrong was deathly afraid of snakes. Yeah, oh, heck yeah, I've got a good one. Uh, you know, a bullet was always hard fat of snakes, like a lot of people, <laughs> yeah. you know, and uh, and and guys like to rib him big time about it. And, and uh, one time they were working, Rob and uh, Bullet were working in, in Savannah, and they somehow, it must have been a Sunday afternoon or something, and they were, they had to fly back to Atlanta right after the matches, and they... They got out of the dressing room in Savannah, and they didn't have long. They were going to fly, and a couple of the girls at the arena there said, yeah, we'll drive you out to the... But they stop at this little country store, and uh, they put a gas in the car. The girl's gassing up her car, and Bob's sitting in the back seat, and Rob goes in to buy him beer, as always for Rob, and uh, and he finds in there one of those little plastic snakes about 18 <laughs> inches long, right? And... Uh, so he buys it. Now, Bob's in the back seat of this car, the girl's car. And, uh, and and Bob's never met the girl. They don't really even know her. Rob knows who the girl is, but she's nice enough to take him to the airport. Bob's in the back, and he's got the windows down. She's having a problem with her air conditioner. He's got an old car, I guess. And uh, so Bob's got his window down. He has no shirt on or anything. And Rob comes back from buying his beer, and he just comes by the window where Bob's got it down, and he pitches this snake in on Bob's <laughs> chest. <laughs> so, so Bob starts screaming, ah! and he grabs the snake, and he throws it up in the air, but when he does, it hits the roof of the car, and it just falls back on him. <laughs> and because he's sweating, it sticks to him. He can't hardly pull it off of him, right? So he's, he's screaming and he's, he's just going nuts in the back seat. And then finally he starts kicking the back seat of this girl's uh, of her car. And he's he walks himself up her back seat of her car and his feet are on top of the roof of the car now. And the, now the snake is in his face. I mean, he, he throws it down. And once it goes out on the ground, Rob grabs it and throws it back in on him. And uh, this went on for about two minutes, and then he kicks the front seat of her car. He breaks the bolts that connected to the floor of her car. <laughs> so he destroys her car because of this plastic snake. You know, and uh, Rob said the girl couldn't hardly drive. He had to drive the rest of the way to the airport. Bob had to put his feet on the back of her seat to keep it Hold in the, the right position so that Rob could drive it till they got <laughs> So he just, I mean, you know, he was hey. great. I had another one for him one time. I, I gave him a birthday present one year. And I found this real nice box. It was like a shoe box. And I wrap it all up. But underneath the lid of the box, I had bought one of those snakes about the same size. And I had stapled it to the box top so that when he removed the box to see what was in it, the snake's going to be right there. And I made the mistake. He's visiting me at my house, and he's sitting on my couch, and there's a coffee table right in front of him. And I say, Bob, I got you a birthday present, man, you know, and I set the box down. Oh, Ron, you know, he is. Ah, that's real nice of you, Ron. And I say, yeah, open it up, man. Oh, no, no, wait. I said, no, no, go ahead, open it up, open it up. So he finally opens it up. 
And he, he pulls that box top off, and that snake is there. Oh, he throws the box up in the air. He kicked my, I had a glass coffee table. He kicked the glass out of my coffee table. This destroyed my coffee table. Was running all over my living room. I'm like, Bob, come on, Bob, stop, stop. It's just a, it's just a toy. It's just a toy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, I can testify, ladies and gentlemen, of the listening public, that Ron Fuller's stories are all true, but in this case, they're overly true because it was legendary all the way up into Knoxville to Smoky Mountain Wrestling that Bob Armstrong's reactions to snakes are what he believes are snakes. And I don't know why the boys always thought it was a good idea to get an ex-Marine, a bodybuilder with a bench press of hundreds of pounds and explosive striking power in an enclosed space <laughs> and then convince them that they are being assaulted by their worst fear. Because one night at just a high school gym in of the bathroom, right? The stalls, the old high school gym bathroom stall where you got the door and right. then you got the stall on either side of it, right? It doesn't go all the way up, doesn't go all the way down, but it's got the framework. And one night, Bullet Bob's in there, you know, taking a taking a promoter, and uh, <laughs> sitting yeah. on the toilet, and those those uh, stretchy the tube exercising things that the boys used to have, where it's a stretch tube, and and it's a long rubber tube, and they'd stand on it and they'd do their arm flexes, right, and stretch right. this thing. It's a warm up thing. Well, somebody just grabs that thing and bundles it up, and walks over to the side of the stall and throws it over the top and yells snake at the same time and it looked like a cartoon both of the sides of the stall and the door blew out all at the same time down to the ground and there was bob wrestling that goddamn that stretchy exercise it's not even a not get it off of me get it off of me <laughs> it, 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 it's like Bobby Eaton's sick stomach when you can dump Colonel Sanders chicken gravy out in front of him and tell him it's baby shit and he'll vomit, even though he knows what it is. It's just, it's amazing. But anyway, those. <laughs> I don't know. I've heard that story like three or four times about Armstrong and the snake, and it's still funny to me. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe because I've got a sick sense of humor, but I just think that's hilarious. Well, um, I tell you what. The legacy of Bullet Bob extends from him to his sons to have that kind of legacy uh, in the wrestling business, to have not only a successful career in his own right. And again, he was never anyone I saw live. I don't ever remember him. I don't even know if he even wrestled in Chicago or wrestled in New York or Los Angeles. But just to be able to have the legacy where he's a, a terrific wrestler uh, and his sons wrestled at a high level as well, including the road dog, Jesse James. To a certain wrestling fan, road dog is the best wrestler uh, in the generation. I think it's still Brad Armstrong, but road dog was able to get it on the main stage, went to the WWE, and still working there. I just think that that's just great. So Bob Armstrong, someone who, when he's a child, he 
his father took him to see gorgeous George Russell at a very young age, and he loved wrestling even going back to 1960 when he debuted as a wrestler. And by 66, he was a very popular babyface uh, in the Georgia area, especially in the Savannah, Georgia area. But wrestling in places like Alabama and Georgia and Miami Beach, Florida in the 70s, um, taking on Jack Briscoe for the NWA championship. And then kind of going into semi-retirement between 92 and 2019, as late as 2019, uh, Armstrong was wrestling still and passed away uh, from cancer uh, this year in August of 2020. So just a, a great legacy, though. All the championships he won as well. A lot of the regional Mid-South sports um, championships he won in Columbus and Macon. Uh, the Southern Heavyweight Championship, the Georgia version of that. The Mid-America title for the NWA. Also the Tri-State Championship for George Goulas, I believe, during that time. Um, Southern, Champ- Southern Championship. Uh, and just his biggest championship, I'm sure, is that he was able to be part of the WWE class of 2011. So just a great, great legacy for um, the bullet, Bob Armstrong. Well, it was really overwhelming. I'm not used to that much attention, but I could really get used to it. After 49 years, I thought I had done it all, seen it all, but I never had a feeling like tonight. I really didn't. And with my son presenting that to me, it was hard not to get emotional. It was very hard, but the people were very receptive, even though most of them weren't born when I started wrestling. They seemed to be receptive anyway, and I certainly appreciate that. Oh, with them, there was nothing like it. They, they are my legacy, and I couldn't be proud of any of them. I'm just sorry my number three son, Steve, couldn't be with us, but he was there in spirit, and we'll see him soon. So it, it was just a moment I'll never forget the rest of my life. I hope some big guy tries to take this off. He'll find out I'm still b- b- bad to the bone. 